Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to the after party. Guys, when you wear pinstripe clothing and you pull a pin of color off of your blazer slash pants slash whatever, what does it do? Because mine, it makes me 5% taller. (laughs) Only 5%. What is that? Do the math for me. Um, I'm 5'10", but nothing is a base 10 system, so I can't do that math for you. (laughs) (laughs) 12 times 5 plus 10 is 70 inches. 70 inches, so that's 3.5 inches. Wow. It's pretty good. Look at that. I've always wanted to be over six feet. I feel like I'm. I whenever I reach for something and I can't get it, it's like an inch away. So that's always what I've asked for. Just the, the universe. So that's that's helpful to me. Then I can reach for my watering supplies on top of the kitchen cabinets without uh, precarity. I mean, you're not just telling people that you're six feet, like all of the men out there. No. Am no, I right? I Am I right, fellas? <laughs> yeah. I prefer to underpromise over deliver. <laughs> oh, hold on, the, fe- the fellas sent it back to me. Those, those are the fellas from Hey Ya, apparently. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who? Hey, hey, fellas, what's cooler than being cool? Ice cold. All right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. Julia, what does your pinstripe do? Oh, it makes me a foot taller so that I can be normal human size. I love that, Brandon. <laughs> How about yours? Oh, it makes me a foot shorter so I can uh, get into smaller places that I need to get into. This is so far sounding like a really well-rounded team. Eric, are you our healer? Uh, apparently. Uh, unfortunately, Mr. Pinstripe has been geshed or guyest, whatever. We have not really decided what it, <laughs> what it is. He's been geshed away. So uh, I, I can't say for sure what his pinstripes do. But in the fiction, what would your pinstripe do? Oh, it would probably make the buzzer the buzzer sound. Uh, the, the, the buzzer handshake thing sure. uh, as it did in the thing. Oh, that's very good. Well, guys, uh, welcome to the after party. We're we're chilling. This was a heck of a start to an arc. Players, how are we feeling? I'm feeling good. Yeah. <laughs> alive. Yeah. Very alive. We are alive. That is something. We're like waiting for the shoe to drop for everyone else. And I think that is <laughs> why we're kind of like, yeah, yeah, we're doing okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so far, it's fine. I mean, uh, Brandon went into death and returned, and someone who definitely was not our friend showed up and is now gone. So we're just like, uh, is this winning role play? <laughs> Badly summarize your D&D podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It feels like it's been a very long time since we've started a new arc and especially I feel like we were a little bit behind because we used the entanglements for join the paper so I feel like episode one was kind of like the entanglements part that we usually do with with a lot of that stuff so it's a little bit of a slow start and especially because the last one was join join the loop which was so like I spent so much time trying to figure out exactly what it was so I'm just like yeah yeah we're just we're out here. We're out here playing Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons. We're falling asleep. We're, we're waking here. up. It's another day. Yeah, we're we're sleeping. We're planning a party. That's that's really it. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, there is a ton to discuss from these two episodes, despite the the feeling of slight anticlimax that we are not currently in a time loop. Brandon and Eric, please tell us uh, <laughs> what the hell was going on with <laughs> Join the Committee One. Julia and I just showed up, uh, and then that stuff happened. So, what was that process like for you both behind the scenes? Mm. I don't. What did we do, Eric? I don't remember. Did, I, did we just <laughs> <Yeah>. like? <laughs> I had a bet with myself of whether or not you would at, you remembered. So I won five dollars that I'm going to uh, <laughs> gonna buy a, a frosty beverage with. So I think that this all came from me talking you through your level ten bonus thing. 
Yes, I think you're right. Because we we had talked about just a lot of like, how are we going to get you and Tuna back together? Mm -hmm. Because Tuna has kind of been separated from you ever since the YouTubers like kind of severed the link between the two. And you've had this 25% damage penalty this entire time. And we're like, well, we got to do something. Like, I think especially in Join the Loop, Tuna... There were some opportunities maybe to reconnect and because of hilarity and other things and Tuna lost her keys. That didn't happen. So we're like, we have to do something. And then we're like, oh, this level 10 thing is happening. And I felt like I needed to introduce it to you because the Circle of Spirits is something that we've homebrewed together. And then that's where it came from. At one point, I think you slacked the Join the Party channel and was like, lol, what if I died like... <laughs> like in this movie that you might not know. And I'm like, that's a terrible idea. And I'm like, oh, this is actually very funny. And we from there. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking back at our DM slacks and I don't know what when we talked about it because you just slacked me uh, apropos of nothing on Tuesday, June 15th and said, so for JTP stuff, so Flatliners, you have the ability to do that. <laughs> yes, that's right. I think you said at some point, you're like, what if I did this? And then I'm like, oh, you can actually do this. But the important thing is that my mom introduced me to Flatliners many years ago. <laughs> oh. How old were you when you watched Flatliners? I was an adult, but she loved it when she was younger. And so I watched it and it was it's a good movie. It's a weird, it's a fun thought process. For sure. Please, can you explain it better? I feel like I do a, did a bad job of doing that in the episode. What is Flatliners about? I don't think you did. I think you did. It's it's basically just like a bunch of med students that um one of them has a it's been a long time so I might be like paraphrasing poorly, but one of them has a near death experience or something and like sees, you know, something on the other side. So they try to like recreate that without actually dying. Mm. It's kind of cool cuz it's it's fairly hard science fiction for the time. So I I forget what right. cocktail of, you know, medicine they use to like go under, but then they have like Ice blankets and then heat blankets and mm. like to bring them back. It's it's cool. But uh, Julia's right. It is very much like a horror sci-fi kind of thing. It's spooky. Just like join the party, obviously. Yes. That reminds me of uh, In the Flesh, one of my very favorite zombie media of all time. It's like a two-season uh, zombie show from the early 2010s. BBC Three made it. And it's all about like the, the zombie sort of apocalypse happens, but it's very short-lived. And afterward or there is some kind of mechanic to end up reinstating kind of consciousness and like bringing back alive the zombies but there is a lot about the mechanics and physics of like mm. sustaining your body after it goes through these changes which makes me uh, very happy yeah that's good stuff I did not tell you that Anubis was waiting for you on the other side. No. I did not. <laughs> this is, I actually have a whole Anubis corner of questions here. So let's begin with um, why, Eric, was Anubis chosen as the god of death? This is a question from Ali. Was it a Milo-specific thing, or would it be the same for anyone that died? Mm, yes. Uh, Anubis is the only thing waiting for you when you die. Sorry, every other religion. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I've obviously, I don't know if you knew this about me, I've been thinking a lot about how Christian all of our pop culture is. So I think that there are a lot of fantasy stories where you would assume that the either the fire and brimstone of hell, which I mean, like those of you who know actual Dungeons and Dragons lore, like those levels of hell, that's just like Dante's Inferno mashed up with the fucking deadly sins to incredibly Christian creations. So I thought it was really interesting thinking about like what does happen to you when you die, especially in the comic tradition of like, lol, the Sandman's there when you die or 
law all of norse mythology is real this came from uh, marina as well in the discord who was like yeah it's very it's very comics canon to be like oh yeah like just this mythology is correct (laughs) and uh it certainly helps because we have the host of spirits on the show so i like thinking about the stuff that y'all have covered and i'm like you know that state is kind of interesting it's just like you have the scale you see what happens and then either like your soul gets to chill or something bad happens i guess like i do like the idea that you know, there's some sort of objective scorekeeping somewhere where it's like, oh, you were a good person, you were a bad person, and you know, whatever humans say is good or bad is it doesn't matter. Like, there's some sort of objective, objective weighing of all that. Um, and I feel like Anubis is a pretty is a pretty much the closest thing. So I thought it was funny. I had known about Anubis for a little while. I didn't know Brandon when you were going to try to do this. So I knew this probably starting at the end of join the loop because i don't know if you remember but when you got on the pirate ship that went on the seas of time the pirate flag which had the skull and crossbones had a jackal head yes i do remember that but i didn't i didn't think about it yeah but that's smart foreshadowing foreshadowing Julia, is Val okay after learning about Anubis? I also just must say, that's the most hilarious bit of improv I've ever heard. Um, is, is your your final line to join the committee one. I, I screamed and cried and my throat still hurts. Uh, thank you. I think Val is fine because, you know, Val is convinced that their religion is the true religion and their experiences <laughs> in the afterlife are going to be the ones that they were taught and believe in and uh, does not care what Milo says is quote unquote real. Are you saying that things that Milo say are not important to Val? <laughs> it's not that things that Milo is saying are not important to Val. It's that things that Milo says are less important than Val's personal religious beliefs. <laughs> That's very funny. I'm trying to remember, where did we end up? Did Anubis say... Anubis was very ambivalent about whether or not you told people <laughs> that that was the truth, because I don't I don't remember if it ended up, where it ended up. Anubis kept saying that, like, you can tell people, but no one will believe you, or, or you won't remember, or something like that. Ain't that the truth. Which I wanted to treat canonically as accurate as well. True. I think it's very funny. So it's just like, it is It is what it is. Anubis is chilling down there. No one's going to believe you. The other thing, oh man, I want to talk about fucking Brandon's dice rolls though. Because we really had the ups and the downs in Join the Committee 1 and Join the Committee 2. Let's start with the bad ones, which was rolling so poorly to figure out who could help you in this ser- in this scenario. I think you rolled like a six. And I remember saying like, oh, fuck, you rolled so bad. And <laughs> and figuring that out. Um, part of the reason why you weren't able to, quote unquote, kill yourself was that the actuary kind of like, because you rolled so bad, the actuary stepped in and was like, I'm the only one who can help you. So you're going to go play by my rules. It just so happened that you rolled two nat 20s. So none of that really mattered, ultimately. Incredible. And I think it's important to say, obviously, Milo was not trying to die by suicide. Just important to point that out. But yeah, I had a whole plan. I forget exactly what the like um, spells I was going to use, but I had a. I think I was going to use Icon of Decay and like, you know, make a TV remote drain the vitality from me or something. <laughs> sure. Explain that spell to I me. I love that because I've never heard of that before. It might have been the one of the ones that we got from that um, like third party additional index thing, but um, you basically just like 
touch an object and then that thing becomes an icon of decay and it like you can Ooh. put it near someone or or like you know throw it at someone over and it like drains hp from them over time if they're like within the area of effect so so you like lay back on a couch or something and just be like excellent this is all going to plan <laughs> yes exactly i love that yeah it's such creative spell casting or for a second option i was going to see if eric would make a whole new superhero like a whole new healer and uh, put them in the game. But oh, that's what I was hoping for as well. Uh, who says that I didn't? And you rolled like trash. You so did we didn't. roll like trash. So maybe we just didn't meet them. <laughs> yeah. That's a good question too. Ellie in Discord wanted to know, Brandon, what other questions did you consider asking Anubis? And why did you choose the one that you did? I panicked. <laughs> <laughs> I did throw that at you. So the way that your level 10 thing worked was that like you could ask a question but it was a yes or no so then because you rolled a nat 20 i'm like oh ask a more detailed question and i don't know if that shook you yeah i i was also like you know i was thinking in the moment of like metagaming meta podcasting i guess is it more fun to ask <laughs> a silly question is it more fun to ask a real question and then what would that be blah blah, blah. and i tried to think of what mysteries we still don't know about much about and so i just mm -hmm asked about my parents but it's a good question man i i also encourage min maxing when you're podcasting i don't encourage min maxing as <laughs> you're playing dd brandon that's why you put all of your stats in editing yeah and your constitution's really low yeah i put all my stats in my ears uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah what what are the six stats for podcasters ears mouth ears i think constitution still counts yeah <laughs> i would say um, market research. <laughs> <laughs> I do also want to finally just say that this is not going to be like a shitty adoption story where everything's like super sad and, and like, you know, the adopted person is like horribly sad about everything. So don't, don't stress about that. Oh, your parents are the Joker. <gasps> <laughs> exactly. So this is the best possible scenario. Wow, shit. <laughs> That's a spoiler. I should have said that. <laughs> Both your mom and your dad, your birth parents, are the Joker. Yes. Is that should I not have said that? Was that too was that too much? No, I love it. That's why Milo's so twisted. Yeah. <laughs> Milo's also wearing the Joker makeup at all times. Mm -hmm. All fan artists, please adjust. <laughs> He's always the Joker. You know, that's actually the perfect segue that I could not even possibly have asked for. <laughs> oh, no. Because Jules 2.0 uh, in Discord wanted to know, transitioning into Join the Committee 2, about our favorite fictional galas. And I thought both Brandon and Julia, you might have examples of this being so familiar with superhero media. I just know this as a trope that I love. Like the gala crashing is just a thing that I love. I love our goat party uh, mm -hmm. where we got to go to the Met Gala and in our masks game Eric and I were heroes at a gala where we had to kind of you know figure stuff out and you know collect clues so that was in my mind when I was thinking about this potential sort of set piece I was gonna say my favorite was goat party so <laughs> I don't think I have a fictional gala that is my absolute favorite I worked on a documentary team for a non-partisan government documentary series and part of the perk of doing that job was they would take us to a lot of like political galas and galas are not as fun as you think that they are like there's an open <laughs> bar and a lot of good food but that's it everyone else there is boring probably it's just not a good time if there's an open bar why are you talking to people julia <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair 
There is an open bar. That is, I want to clarify, definitely an open bar. Would not have gone otherwise. (laughs) Now, would it have been different if you knew how many people had knives strapped to their either upper or lower leg? Yeah, that would have raised the stakes (laughs) a little bit. Otherwise, it's just a lot of boring white people all in a room talking about foreign policy. (laughs) I'm sorry your DM was so boring for that gala in particular. Well, we're not yet in spoily corner, but this gala, I think it is safe to say, is going to be more eventful than that. (laughs) But before we get too far into gala prep, many questions had to do, of course, with Mr. Pinstripe, which was just a thing that I don't think any of us saw coming. And Eric, I feel like all of us fucked up your plans real bad in this episode. Um, Is that true slash you're welcome slash I sorry? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot lately in terms of like what how dms plan and then like dms revealing what your notes were later and i really like telling you all just because like i did the work i want to show it to you whatever but like honestly i think it's like wow look at my china shop hoping nothing happens even though i built it right <laughs> on the this the san andreas fault i moved, i hope you like my china shop it's a San Andreas China shop, you know? And then my natural 20 rolls into your shop and destroys everything. <laughs> but, it, but like, it, it, I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I just Oh, fucking... it's for the insurance payout. I see. Oh. <laughs> oh. I, th- this metaphor has gotten away from me. Very, very quickly, can we go back to the fact that we kept fucking up what an actuary was? And we kept talking about <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> That's my favorite part of know. that episode. I didn't know. Was that true? Did you were brand because I Amanda knows what an actuary is. I genuinely is. kept forgetting what an actuary did. And I was like, so he's gonna take care of my taxes. That was so funny. I initially I, I just made the mistake, and then Amanda said something that was like, "Oh, whoops, I just made a mistake," and then I just kept playing with it. But there was that moment of time. I forget the question. It was like a beat of silence, and then me and Julia said. But those are the same thing, right? Or at the same time. <laughs> that is not edited. Me and Julia said that exact same time. <laughs> so funny. Listen, being a child of the mob, I mean, how how could Val possibly know anything about taxes or how to submit them? Val doesn't right. know anything about taxes. They don't get paid actual like money that the government can track. You don't know. That's how they get you. So if you never pay them, they can't get you, right? That's true. Right. And Val, Val's dad, uh, someone asked on Twitter, how Val's dad is remarried because we had made the joke that Val's mom and Val's dad never got divorced. They're just like separated because they didn't want to say the church. I was thinking about that. I'm like, oh, Val's dad just like knows a guy who like fucking scrubbed it from the records mm-hmm. and just like moved it over. And Rosa was fine with it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you, then that way you don't have to tell the priest. I think I called him priest like Iannucci, Father Iannucci. I, I yeah. yeah. And I thought that, that was so funny. So similarly, like Val doesn't know anything about taxes at all. Like generationally. <laughs> Who would have taught them? <laughs> no one. No, no one. Absolutely not. Not our school system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for real. That's right. And that's what Join the Party is actually about, is school system. Redlining and climate change. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That was so funny. Um, Something that also I thought was really funny from the first episode was I made a very conceited effort because I wanted to thread in the gala in the first episode of Val and Aggie talking to Dr. Mara while Milo was dead. (laughs) (laughs) It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So I I enjoyed that very much, and I hope that uh, you all enjoy that. But, like, you know, there are things I can do as a DM, but I I more just want to tell you all what I've been planning. But, like, it doesn't really matter. I'm not mad 
And I know that the, the thing that you say when you're not when you're mad is that you're not <laughs> mad. But like truly, I don't care. I it's more just funny for me. So like I built this china shop. It's my fault. I built it on the San Andreas fault. But let's just let's just make it happen and see what the story is. So what did you think the story would be? I thought because of where we all talked both in Join the Committee One and off and off mic was that Aggie was gonna talk to Emily Slaughter. Val was going to deal with the venue and Milo was going to do one of those other things that we had talked about, either trying to invite people working with Carmen in January or getting her hands on some stuff to sell at the at the auction. Yeah. Things that famous people do. The things that right, you think we would do. Famous. Yeah. I think the problem was that like in the moment we started talking it out and we're like, oh no, it would make more sense for Milo yeah. to secure the venue because we could use the mumufk. Or like right. Val can go talk to, because I think I rolled extremely well on my intimidation. I was like, I think yes. I can intimidate yeah. Emily Slaughter finally. And I'm like, I'll do whatever. Yeah. There's no consequences for my choice here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I had planned. And then everything got like shifted to the Everybody left. Everybody got shifted one to the left. And I'm like, lol, all right, let's see what happens. That's fine. I mean, again, Emily Slaughter starting from scratch, talking to someone that they don't talk to a lot. I guess just like Aggie flailing while trying to plan. And then what had happened with Mr. With Mr. Pinstripe, I think Momofovica just wasn't going to be viable. I had thought about it when, when you moved. I was like, oh, that could be really cool, but I feel like you rolled really poorly uh, as well. And I'm like, oh, nah. It's it's out, and also the Giga Bear fucked it, fucked everything. Yeah, I was gonna say I think it made perfect in game sense. I didn't even like it didn't like smell as odd to me at all. Like, of course there would still be construction going on. They can't hold a Gilo when there's you know a Giga Bear just tramples through it like a couple seasons, a couple months it's ago. It's been six months though. I mean, it's a museum. They don't have a ton of money, you know. Canonical LTC resident Jake has very high standards, okay, of building <laughs> inspections, and we need to make sure that everything's okay before it reopens. So funny. The uh, only thing that read as suspicious to me was that uh, Eric, you built a lovely encounter for Multitool to perhaps show off her stretching powers <laughs> to deal with two things that are exactly hundred feet apart, uh, and instead, poor Julia had a trolley problem in, uh, <laughs> on her hands. <laughs> Brandon did such a good job cutting. Because I spent at least five minutes trying to figure out the best, like, uh, mechanics and also a way that I could do as much as possible with, like, bonus actions, actions, reactions, that kind of stuff. I kept a lot of your thought process in there because I thought it was fun to watch your brain work. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but there yeah. there was like probably like a good two minutes of silence as I flipped through my my <laughs> cards trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, as I turned to you both to Brandon and Amanda, and I'm like, oh, it's the trolley problem. <laughs> get it? Um, yeah, I mean, we can get into it more about like what my intentions were, but I think that it ultimately was just very. All of it was very it's fun. so fun. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about it being that far away. I just did it so that we could get introduced to multi tools move set in general um and that's, not, not that was my that was my head my was my head in my hands that's my dm moment where i'm like the first thing we see multi-tool do with with her powers <laughs> is fucking clean a toilet classic <laughs> i i legitimately thought you were just setting up that situation so you could have emily slaughter save the day and like sort of you know push herself onto the team it was a really good use of that scene yeah, I think that, so, oh, again, like, this is why it doesn't matter, is, like, I kind of set up that there was going to be a trolley problem of some sort, and Emily Slaughter was going to 
do that. I'm glad that you, you picked up on it. But like, it didn't really matter who it was. Actually, I, here's a confession. Shannon Redwine wasn't going to be in the Upcountry <sighs> Keepers, but I needed Emily Slaughter to have something on Val. So I had to, sh- <laughs> so I shifted it. I wanted Shannon Redwine, nay, Tough Stuff, to be involved. I came up with Tough Stuff on the fucking fly. Because I, I wanted her to be involved in some other way later in the campaign. But I was like, boom, now Tough Stuff is in the Upcountry Keepers. Like, Emily needs to have something on Val, or it's just going to be Val growling at Emily Slaughter uh, the entire time. Oh, I'm so mad. (laughs) Oh, man. That felt so well-planned and slid in there. Oh, gosh. Thank you. I was, again, like, it doesn't matter. Like, I, it's, everything is about, like, thinking on your feet and doing something fun for who gets to interact with. Emily Slaughter wouldn't have been like, oh, can you send the, the smart one? Can you send the one who I've been talking to? Like, that wouldn't have happened. Emily Slaughter gets, gets who Emily Slaughter gets, and uh, she girl bosses her way through regardless. Fair enough. <laughs> and I thought Brandon's interaction was so fun and mysterious as well. Um, Sam asked in Discord, Brandon, were you so proud to effectively deal with the pinstripe man? And Eric, what was he going to do with the ducks? <laughs> also, I have a question here from uh, a Brandon in Slack. Um, Eric, tell me more of your duck knowledge. You knew about frozen peas. You know all duck knowledge. <laughs> I was at, we're recording this early, so I'm like, hey, I, I, we might not have enough questions for everybody. Please make sure that you send some stuff. And Brandon's like, tell me about ducks. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Brandon's like, you told, you had new stuff about ducks. You know everything about ducks. Just, just do it. Yeah. What do ducks like to eat? Uh, I actually know this from, there's a sign near my grandma's house who, she lives near a duck pond. And like recently, I guess like, the people who run these small towns are being more concerned about what people are throwing as food to the ducks. So you shouldn't be throwing bread because it's actually just like filler. It's not healthy for the ducks. So if you throw frozen peas, they really, really like that. And it's nutrition because it's, uh, it's a vegetable. It was like I was on a sign in Merrick, Long Island. <laughs> um, so I don't know everything about ducks. I just uh, learned it. But I'm sure Brandon has just Googled it and he's going to tell us all about it. I did. Uh, obviously, this is a place that I don't know that you should trust or not. But, you know, they like fruits and vegetables, apparently. Seeds and grains. And other things that you can't get, like insects. <laughs> there you go. I mean, you can dump a bag of crickets into a yeah, pond if you really want to. That feels like the beginning of an ecological horror movie. <laughs> did you know that mallard ducks mate for life? Fun fact. <gasps> That's so cute. Cute. Really cute. I want to go back to the moment when someone's pouring a bag of bugs into a lake. <laughs> no. It's like, well, you told me not to do bread, so this is my only other idea. <laughs> Poor crickets. It's chitinous. I just want to state for one more time, fuck geese. Mm-hmm. Um, fuck geese. This is a call out for all geese. Fuck you. Yeah, fuck geese. The ge- geese are actually the big bad of, of this campaign. Canada geese coming down from Canada and messing with everyone. Yes, and Hakuna also asked back to Mr. Pinstripe, Eric, did you have a backup plan? If not, how much did you curse Brandon off, Mike? No, Brandon, Brandon what were you thinking? I want to know. I felt so fucking good. This is the first confident thing I've done in all of my d d Haha, I saved this item from seven months ago. Yeah. No, I just rolled well. and Because uh, I love that, like, you asked me on Mike where I would where Milo would take a break, and so I was like, my grandpa had a duck pond next to his place too, so I was like, duck ponds are nice. Hmm. And then yeah. Um, yeah, I rolled a nat twenty, and I was like, all right, well, I own the situation now. Mister Pinstripe is mine. 
<laughs> yeah, you roll. I think I asked you to roll a perception check just to see if something weird was going on. And the nat 20 lets you notice Mr. Pinstripe before he did anything else. And he's just like this fucking 1950s Al Capone looking gangster, just like sitting on a bench in a duck pot. So, very quickly, because everything shifted over one, was Val supposed to get Mr. Pinstripe? In your game yes. plan? Okay, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Uh, I wouldn't so have handled good. it so neatly as Brandon did. A hundred percent. I also agree that using an enchantment spell to tell him to get the fuck out was very neat. But then, uh, listen, I can't tell you anything more about Mr. Pinstripe because he's, he's fucking gone. Mm-hmm. So... For one month. Yeah, for one month, he's in New York City trying to find an apartment on the Lower East Side. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I also love that, like, I have a reputation, let's say, for for not maybe uh, <laughs> being the most conversationally uh, appropriate in our campaigns, but I would, Milo was the nicest, nicest person, just talking talking to Mister Pinstripe. Mister Pinstripe just revealed his hand, you know. Yeah, there was a moment where you, when you asked, like, you you shook his hand, and I'm like, I know what you're doing, <laughs> but you know, there's no reason why Mister Pinstripe would, and also Mister Pinstripe made his hand into his into a buzzer <laughs> as well, which really just kind of dunked all over Milo when you really think about it. <laughs> it was really cool and good that he got buzzed. Yeah, if you really compare, you know, getting buzzed and then being cursed to walk the streets of New York City for thirty days, you know. <laughs> Mr. Pinstripe won that. Yeah, Mr. Pinstripe definitely came up on top. That's what everyone's saying on the boards. <laughs> yeah, I listen, you made you made the choice that was really like superhero choice, I guess, but now like who knows why he was there, who knows what he was doing. He's gone. Got to protect the ducks. And I did google it pretty in depth uh, afterwards and it is Gesh. Oh, nice. good. Good. Question Surgeon Michelle Spurgeon would like to know, did the group get to hear the last scene before the next recording? Friends, we did not. And, uh, you know, we might have handled some things differently uh, if we had. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Eric, what was your thought process? You haven't done like a coda before. Hey, Eric, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I just I filter those out of the after party questions, by the way, but lots of those. Mmm, mm, delicious. Mm, so tasty. Mmm, so good. Yeah, there was something that I wanted to tease. I definitely wanted to tease that something was going to go on with whatever's going to happen next in the campaign. But I didn't think that would make sense to tell the players that. Mm-hmm. Listen, we talk about dramatic irony all the time, how the players need, know, might know something that the characters don't. But I do think that it's human nature. It's very difficult to keep your your two minds split in that way. So I was like, I very much want to tease this for the fiction, but I want to wait until after maybe the first stages of whatever's going to happen, what I've alluded to in that final scene. I wanted that to have been actioned already. So like we are three or four sessions ahead and only then did I then write the scene give it to Brandon and then Julia and Amanda heard it as Brandon put it together so I thought it was fun I wanted to tease it like I very much see this campaign as like the the Teen Titans (laughs) like this campaign is so much like the Teen Titans cartoon from the early 2000s uh and I thought that having like a little tease like that would be kind of like very apropos for the genre. Ev and Ralts would also like to know uh, evil slack question mark question mark. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> for all your evil very good addition. Exactly. So I, not that slack. You don't do evil things on regular slack, but evil slack is being marketed directly towards villains. 
I love that. Every time you send a message, it automatically adds everyone. That's what oh. Evil Slack does. One of the, the only react is the shrug emoji. That's. <laughs> it's, every, so... it's that and the, that and Dusty Stick. Those are the only two choices you have. <laughs> Slackbot is just the Joker. Oh. So fucking twisted, man. Just so twisted. I don't know why you're besmirching my parents like that, Eric. God. <laughs> Maybe Milo's parents, birth parents, invented evil slack. Maybe. Think oh, about damn. that. That's why. That's what Anubis was alluding to. <laughs> Major bisexual on Discord would like to know. We know that Danny sent in vague paintings like landscapes, which I thought was a very funny description of landscape paintings. But what did Erin send in? My headcanon. So Erin is a uh, tattoo artist. She lives in Berlin. Her name has always been Erin. Um, she is married. <laughs> she has kids uh, as well. Hallie wanted to know what her life was like, and she is just like a jet setter. I think her spouse is from Canada, and so they split their time between Montreal and Berlin. And Montreal's not that far from Lake Town City, so they can make it down for holiday things. But she is a very, very just like a hip tattoo artist, not just to the stars, but just like has a very specific style. So I like to think that she sent in, like my tattoo artist does, a lot of drawings on wax paper. Because she do like a tracing Ooh. of your, you know, your area of whatever area of the body you want to put the tattoo on. And then like does, you know, like a kind of pencil drawing at first. And I think Erin does a lot of like photorealistic tattoos. Very cool. I want one. It was in my head. Aaron did like good Ed Hardy tattoos. Oh yeah, no, no, that's that's very very cool as well. Like very classic style. Yeah, very classic and just like, but not covered with rhinestones and Brett and uh, <laughs> Brett Michaels has one of them. Yeah, guys, I uh, I went to Trader Joe's recently. I got a bunch of like uh, dried fruits and seaweed snacks and uh, trail mixes. So I'm gonna go fill up a whole little tray with a bunch of those guys. And I'll be right back. Ooh, yum, yum. The dream. Hey, it's Eric. I'm going to see my good friend Jeff for the first time in person in a very long time. And I'm very stoked about it. We're going to hang out and we're going to make food and we're going to go to restaurants and play a bunch of video games. And it's going to be tight as hell. So, uh, you know, if you feel up to it, see a friend you haven't seen in a while. I know it might be awkward, but, you know, the only thing that's making it awkward is uh, time and the realities of the universe. So it's not really either of your fault. It's more like that. Welcome to the mid-roll. Jeff's going to make me ramen. It's going to be delicious. Shout out to all of our patrons and all of you who have joined patreon.com slash join the party pod over the last few weeks. We love you. We know you. You're the best. I'm doing this mid-roll quite early in the week, but you wouldn't have known that thanks to podcasting editing magic. So I don't have the names right now, but I know all of you out there are doing the damned thing. This show is made possible by all of our incredible patrons, and we could not do it without you. For just $5 a month, you can get access to excellent bonus content and join the best place on the internet, our patron-only Discord. So support, join the party, get good shit, Go to patreon.com slash join the party pod. Hey, I don't know if you knew, but we're doing a digital live show at the end of this month. JDP Live 3 colon LTC Drift is a brand new one shot set in Lake Town City on August 26th. 
at 8 p.m. Eastern. Now, is it actually going to be about drifting and neon motorbikes and the Night of Mirrors? Who has a neon motorbike? Or did I just make all of that up because I know all of you nerds love the Fast and the Furious? Who can say? You gotta get a ticket to find out. Get your ticket now because it also includes a VOD copy of the show that you can watch afterwards. Whether you're attending live or catching up or you're somewhere on the other side of the world and it's too late and you're going to watch it later because we want you to sleep and we care about you, get your ticket at jointhepartypod.com slash live. August 26th, 8 p.m. Eastern or afterwards with the VOD, jointhepartypod.com slash live. Oh, baby. It is our favorite time of the year and multitude. It is multitude survey summertime. Go to multitude.productions slash survey or check the link in the episode description you have right there to help us learn more about you and decide what's next for the collective. The survey takes 15 minutes, has tons of emojis and ends with a cute photo of everyone in multitude. I think you'll enjoy that. Also, there are some specific questions for every single one of the shows especially the ones for join the party we really want you to answer them you'll get to that part where it asks you to answer some questions and give feedback and join the party we definitely want you to do that part and you have to do it by doing the entire survey in total Seriously, though, we have one of the best communities in all of podcasting, and the survey actually does help us figure out what we're going to do for the next year. So help us make sure we're doing the stuff that you want and love. Go to multitude.productions slash survey today. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I don't know, maybe just like the way that the world is right now is a lot to deal with and you need to talk to someone who's kind of like outside of your world and might not have stakes in the things that you say and don't might not take something personally. You need an outside observer. Or BetterHelp can help you with that. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with a real therapist. You get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you never have to sit in a nasty waiting room like with traditional therapy. And there's like highlights there and you're like, do they still make highlights? And then you look at it and it's from 97. Wild. The best part is it's also more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So you can visit betterhelp.com slash join the party, better H-E-L-P. And join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And Join the Party listeners can get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Join the Party. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Join the Party. And now, back to the after party. All right, I'm back, but save some little mini mandarins for me. Those are my favorites. Yes, of course. I want to point out how Amanda and my life has changed now that there is a Trader Joe's like decently God, close by. It's so dis, it's so different. It's like a 15 minute oh, walk. Oh, they opened one up in Brooklyn, Long Island City. Oh, there's nice. one in like there's one in like downtown Brooklyn, which is like a trek. It's like very two buses much away. So. Yeah, but now it's like just on the other side of 
the bridge that connects Brooklyn and Queens from where uh, the Multis studio is and where it's just it's so nice. Like we don't have to buy two hundred dollars worth at a time when we can like get our hands on a car and we find ourselves in Long Island. It's fucking beautiful. <laughs> Getting an apartment that is walking distance from a Trader Joe's was revolutionary during the pandemic. You gotta. <laughs> We have some questions here about the game and our characters and the world of Lake Town City. Let's just start with climate change, as my day does most days. Ev would like to know, Eric, during Join the Committee 1, I heard a reference to climate change still happening, but I thought the whole premise was the world has a cool, funky, renewable source of energy now. Is it exclusively for Lake Town City? Is capitalism capitalism and particularly rude? Have I misremembered the premise? What's the deal? Mm. No, very, very good. I think... um... I mean, climate change would still have the stuff would still have happened even if we discovered this great source 20 years ago. Right? Yeah, I think that a lot of shit has still gotten fucked <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the earth, even starting in 1985 when Dr. Morrow first discovered diaphragm. I think something that I, I we had talked about a lot when we were building the world was the timeline. The reason why Companyton existed was that Dr. Morrow tried to like force companies to make factories in Lake Town City, and like that was the only way that they could use diaphragm and then it was a very slow acceptance by the United States to use it as some sort of like renewable energy. I mean, it really does feel the same way that like I think people use solar power or nuclear power now in 2021. It's like it's better. Just because have it doesn't mean that it's, you know, immediately ubiquitous and easy to use and, you know, reverses everything that's happened before. Right. I also think that Lake Town City is still like a futurist city in so many ways that it was allowed to explode, that it has SkyTram, that it has a bullet train that goes from Lake Town City to New York City. But at the same time, it's like New York City doesn't have SkyTram instead of the subway now. Like there's no SkyTram to the airports. There's no like bullet train from New York City to Austin or New York City to Chicago, it's still just like, it is still Lake Town City uh, surrounding. But it was, yeah, I was feeling just real bad about climate change, so I put that in. Um, but you're totally right. A very much combination of like, the world we live in, and also, yeah, me thinking about it in the long term, but when I was writing that, I was just like, man, it's fucking hot. I can't imagine there's ever going to be a summer day that's like below 90 ever again yeah. uh, when I was writing that. So good, good, very good noticing. Thank you for, for thinking and, and asking that question, Ev. I'm sure in the same way that like nuclear power now, like people are scared of it too. Like I'm sure some people would be scared of diaphragm as well. Oh, for sure, for sure. Jules 2.0 would like to know, what does Hitomi think Val is doing when they're on a superhero duty? And when is this <laughs> double date slash double reveal happening? Uh, first off, Italian emergencies. <laughs> yes. Haley also asked, have Val's mom and Hitomi met, which I am dying to know as well. Yeah, they met at the Christmas party. Was your mom there? I think she showed up at one point. When Taylor Swift shows up, everyone, everyone shows, shows up. up. That's true. And it's like across the lake, so she knows that it's there. She knows the party's happening. She showed up. It's like, who wants hard eggnog and boob mugs? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all of us. Not a Christmas party. We, we all, do. all of us do. Eggnog and boob mugs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I assume that that's a Christmas tradition. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, it should be. <laughs> I, I listen, uh, Truly, is that a Christmas tradition? I, I don't know. <laughs> that's why I eat my Chinese food out of boob mugs. <laughs> so it must be different. Delicious. 
Bray, uh, whose birthday is uh, today, by the way, the day we're recording. Happy birthday, birthday, Bray. Also uh, asked, what is the ship name for Multitool and Tegan? Is it Megan? Is it Tulti Tool? People need answers. <laughs> I don't know, but I do know that at some point, something's going to have to happen where we talk about our identities, and I'm just going to keep pushing that off. <laughs> just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. It's so funny. I literally set this up in, during Join the Committee 1, and I'm like, hey, so like... You y'all have significant partners. Are you doing anything with it? Do you want a pratfall like Milo? Would you like that? <laughs> Is that good for you? And instead, uh, you two are just like, nope. Yeah. We're uh, we're, we're sticking with emotional conversations and Italian emergency. <laughs> <laughs> Well, folks also pointed out, like, I mean, both of them are very smart. Like, you know, people are speculating kind of in Discord and stuff like that. Like, is it, you know, is is it possible for them not to know? And I think part of this is the kind of, like, hand waviness of secret identities where, you know, Volcani's the only Volcani-shaped person in Lake Town City specifically. <laughs> but also, you know, there's a certain amount of, um, of superhero hand waviness. But this is a thing that we are, like, aware of and will deal with. Here's the thing that I was thinking about. And it was the idea of what would be harder to figure out if you're dating a superhero what their like civilian personality is or if you're dating a civilian what their superhero personality is i think it's way easier to figure out like i'm dating this regular person but they look exactly like that superhero that everyone sees on the news it's much harder to go from here's my superhero girlfriend i don't know who she is in real life because there's hundreds of thousands of real life people in the city yeah that's a good question that is that is a good question. I am um, I watch the eminent reality show Big Brother, um, and every year inevitably people will lie about their careers because they think that saying they're like a lawyer makes them sound too smart. And so like one person this year is lying and saying he's a bartender, which he did do in law school, but is now a full time lawyer. So I feel like I would constantly be looking, and like people in the in the Big Brother house as well are like, is he a lawyer? Is he a bartender? Are you a doctor? Are you an actor? And I think that I would constantly be doing that in the scenario you described, Julia, where the my girlfriend is a superhero, but I don't know her civilian identity. I would be like, oh, you mentioned like this gas station you like to go to. Like I would I would try to like fucking <laughs> dox her. And so it wouldn't work for me. And as you know, Sydney um, in Discord also asked, like, would you date someone who's a superhero, but you don't know who they are under the mask? How long would you let them wait before they told you? And oh. for me, that would be very challenging. I would not do that. Yeah. I think it's more dangerous to date the superhero than it is it to is. date the civilian. You know what I mean? Because now in public, people have seen you with that superhero. And, you know, if someone wanted to get to them, they could easily get to you. Yep. Yeah, I think I- I'm not I haven't decided kind of in my head canon when exactly Tegan and Multitool started dating. But I do think that whenever Multitool like accepted, you know, Tegan's invite, because I don't think Multitool would have done the invite or like sure. they kissed for the first time, whatever. Multitool like realized later that she was in costume. I was like, fuck, like, damn, damn it. It's going to be so much harder. <laughs> I think it, it has to depend on your costume, right? So like, yes, if, if you're the Hulk, then it would be harder to figure out Bruce Banner's superhero identity but if sure, you're superman look the same. sure then it's the opposite yeah how did how did you get kisses in with the cowl yeah i think maybe she has like a a domino mask or sunglasses that she wears instead i think uh, basing it off of sarah barra's uh imagery oh yeah or the goggles. the goggles yeah yeah it's, I think- it's goggles and then you're zipped all the way up so you just like just like give me a little bit of, of mouth yeah yeah i i think as as the trust goes on or maybe it's dark. Or it's just like, it's like in a movie theater or something. <laughs> <laughs> Gently kiss your fingers and press them to Tegan's lips. Cool, cool, cool. Cute. And then later, realize she's in costume. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that these questions are don't um don't come up at all. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> 
everybody also very concerned for Carmen. And Soup Dumpling would like to know, <laughs> can we please establish another good coffee shop for Carmen? Carmen definitely, in my mind, has like a Google map of the best independent coffee shops in every single neighborhood. That way, if she is like two and a half blocks from this yeah. one, but the other one, there's sidewalk construction, making her three blocks away, she knows exactly where to go. I just got that, Julia. <laughs> when that, you were that referencing... My comment to Carmen being like, you seem off, but I'm not sure why. <laughs> yes, I, ju- I thought... I thought she, you were just like being like, you have had bad coffee recently, but it's because I turned all the coffee shops into saltwater taffy You shops. did. You did do that. You did. You, you did. did that. Yes. You did. You did, in fact, do that. Um, yeah. I think that car, it's more like Thornhill was a reliable local chain that exploded out. Like, I can only imagine this is like what Starbucks was like in the Pacific Northwest before it got massive, where it's like, this is good coffee. I'm going to have this coffee and it's here, and that's what Thornhill was like. But now, yeah, I, I 100% agree with what Amanda said. Is like Carmen is very is no longer always incredibly caffeinated. There is very much more hit or miss. So Carmen struggles a lot more. Where they're like, oh my god, I didn't have there was no good coffee nearby, so I had to have like fucking Timmy Ho's. Like it was it was terrible. Timmy Ho's. <laughs> Timmy Ho's. That's what people. That's what Canadians call it. Like I've that. been to a bunch of a bunch of Ontario Ontario bros and everyone calls call it, it Timmy Ho's. Ooh. Timmy Bros. Indeed. <laughs> Give me those ice caps. Ice caps, baby. <laughs> Um, oh, we just got this this question on Twitter, and I wanted to know if we can breaking th- news if we can thread this in. <laughs> uh, at underscore Tangsu asked, was Eric fully prepared to let Milo die if the dice cre- decreed it? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's what that I had some mechanics go in there. It was going to be out of Milo's hands a little bit more because the actuary was the one controlling that. But because you rolled so well and your relationship with uh tuna was patched up pretty quickly it was like all right well you're fine yeah Matt, there was, you're, fine. There was, you're good there was no world in which milo was going to be conquered by death milo conquers death should <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> julia's face audience <laughs> <laughs> well you have your best friend anubis um, also, wait, sorry, we didn't talk about this. Hey, w- was it a fun reveal that Anubis and Tuna sounded the same? Yes, it That's was It was Incredible. fun. It was very fun. <laughs> no question. No question. Okay, I just wanted like a little bit of dopamine. Just like a little, <laughs> give you a little bit of that. I was very proud of that. I like it because uh, I panned it left and right. So it's just like there's cats surrounding you. <laughs> <laughs> We have a couple items of clarification corner. Uh, Laura Antonia wanted to ask if we could explain a little more about how Milo's spirit surge works. So my spirit surge is just basically a wild magic surge or a spell surge. I forget what it's called properly, but it's basically just a wild magic table where every time it's sorcerers. And I think, is it every time you do a spell? Yeah, any, any spell that's not a cantrip for a wild magic sorcerer. Yes. You roll, and if you get a one, you have to roll on the wild magic table. Um, and it's like, my favorite one on there is like, you turn into a potted plant or something. Like, they're all just like <laughs> funny or, you know, buffs or debuffs. But then Eric wrote his own, basically, wild magic table. And you guys got the permanent buildup of numbers from Dimension 20, I believe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to make it a little bit different because this was Milo's, like, variant human feat. Milo got plus one to wisdom, but also we added the spirit surge on top of it. So 
Ordinarily, you would just roll one, you get wild magic, but we get the build up, so that's why it's one, two, then one, two, three every single time. And then uh, I wanted to like have a more balanced or or some good, some bad instead of like fucking random shit, which is very much what wild magic mm-hmm. is. But I think it's like Milo has to has to deal with the fact that he's very powerful, but it gets out of hand. A little more, which is why, like, the spirits sort of became a feat instead of just, like, the wild magic stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Jaya would also like to know that when Aggie's subclass got yoinked by the time ocean, did it also remove her superpower? Time shark! Does she still have that? Time shark in the time ocean, you're gonna yoink your powers! I basically still have superpower, but it has a little bit different of focus because Aggie's job now has to do with being outside and not with like home repair. I now have the exact same thing, but to the exterior of buildings and seeing when stuff is out of place in the natural environment. So that's something Eric and I discussed during the uh, the reskinning, the rebuild. Yes, we haven't had a chance to do it, but it's like very similar. It's more like instead of being able to look on the inside of buildings, it's being like, hey, what do things look like when I'm up high and looking on the outside, which is like what Aggie would be doing as a forest ranger. And Eva would like to know in a kind of podcasting clarification corner in the after party when I say, let me get a refill. Do we actually (laughs) take a break or do I just immediately continue with and we're back? The second one. Usually, do, do you want to lie? Go to the bathroom or something. Yeah. <laughs> we sometimes take a break if somebody has to, but other times I'll just say, "I'm going to get some Cheetos," and we're back. I wish we got Cheetos. I know we never actually get Cheetos. <laughs> it just wouldn't be like a nice uh, sound for you guys to listen to us chomping down on Cheetos in between questions. Yep. There's a Postmates outside both of your doors right now, Whoa. and the fact that you haven't let him in for the last twenty minutes is rude. It's the, he's not not knocking. <laughs> Do you let fault. your postmate into your home, Eric? <laughs> he to give you the Cheetos. You just leave him out there in contactless delivery, bro. Exactly. Well, I didn't do that. He needs to come into <laughs> your apartment. Let him in. We did get a very interesting question about DMing from Jimmy via email. So this references back to campaign one, which I think is very fun. No spoilies, though. Don't worry, guys. So Jimmy writes, I've been looking into developing D&D to use for teaching English. In political party, as the party took the orb and are setting off home, Eric levels everyone up and asks them all some amazing questions that really made me stop and think. And uh, just has a couple examples here from our transcript, which is very helpful. Thank you, Jimmy. Um, So one of the questions was, Tracy, you can see fish skipping up in the air and nearly high enough for you to grab them right out. And your wonder senses are just on fire. Has it ever been this easy? Your question to me was, Inar, from up there in the rigging, you can see the entire skylight out in front of you. When was the last time you saw this much sky? And so Jimmy's question to us is, is there a name for this style of questioning? As a teacher, it reminded them of Bloom's taxonomy, Mm -hmm. uh, which that was very fun. Is it coming from psychology therapy as a teacher? Like, is it something that you were working with? You know, is there a name of this? Is it common? Like, what's the deal? Oh, I remember this moment. Um, Me too. That was the moment where I was like, oh, shit, Eric came to DM. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, oh, my God. Wait, you mean character-based questions, decisions, and reactions? <laughs> yeah. Um, I talk about this a lot on the show, but I spent a lot of time thinking about the medium of the actual play or real play D&D show, a, a show that is uh, a storytelling show that's guided by Dungeons & Dragons or a tabletop RPG uh, thing of your choice and I think that since this was already back in political party this was when I was like oh you can do a lot of shit you can just like ask questions you can just like have conversations and think about it and I realized we hadn't had a lot of interiority 
with the characters then. So I'm like, oh, let, I'm just going to ask some questions. And I, I remember asking the three of you these questions. There is not a name for it. I think it's just like there was a quiet moment and there were a lot less quiet moments in campaign one. So I saw this as an opportunity to really flesh shit out and uh, I just kind of jumped on it. It's just a reminder that whenever you're playing a tabletop RPG game and there are people playing characters, there are always opportunities to hear more about their interiority that doesn't have consequences. You can always just ask, like, what are you thinking right now? What is this? And it doesn't have to be as high concept as, like, as like you failed the charisma roll and this psychic damage is taking you back to a memory, which I think is very nice. But I think that there are also opportunities for you to just ask simple questions. And I thought it was really fun. I think about it now that how like we spend our, our downtime doing scenes more than anything and we don't ask questions, which I think is fine. And I think that like we all have a lot more experience playing. So you reveal your intentions a little bit more. But all the way back in campaign one, I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to ask these questions and I want to see what happens. And a question from Juju, also via email. I've occasionally had problems with my players wanting to all have really edgy characters with dark backstories. <laughs> I know it's very common for new players to want to play rogues or characters looking for revenge, but it is very tough to run a team campaign when every character is like a mean, brooding, standoffish lone wolf. Do you have any advice for dealing with this or convincing my players to play different tropes? So relatable. I know. That's definitely something that a lot of beginning players do. I did the same thing. I mean, you guys know Inara. <laughs> <laughs> I would say be more active in their sort of creation process. Like maybe suggest some fun combinations and like what the possibilities of the combination of, of that character is. Like someone who is a might play that character might also like the wild magic sorcerer or something like that. I would also say if you can be creative about your campaign like take that and spin it to your advantage maybe like if you have a team of four people who are all aragorns then like think of some setting where like that spins it on its head and it's like can't think of it right now but like think of that and, and play it that way i think it's really interesting i've been thinking a lot lately about the like character trait tables where you roll a d10 or something like that and you get a randomized trait for your character and i think maybe oh, yeah. not enforcing that but suggesting them for your players as like a here's like one section where i want you to roll this one trait and incorporate that into your character and that might loosen them up a little bit and make them be yeah. like okay well my character apparently can't cook well so how do i incorporate <laughs> that into my character is yeah. like this is a something that is a little trait that isn't just like oh my dad died because of orcs <laughs> <laughs> hey you could just like end this campaign and do another one same people, but like start with a different story and make them roll new characters. I think that very much this is like a impulse. Like, yeah, I do want to murder someone. I very much do. And let them do it and then get to roll new characters. If your whole party rolls edgy characters twice, then I think you need to start having a conversation. But I think that sometimes you just need to get it. People need to get it out of their system. Something to consider is that uh, a campaign doesn't need to be 100 sessions. A campaign... Uh, can end more abruptly like honestly endings are good like get let them end let them kill and then see if they can if they'll roll something else do some one shots do some in-universe one shots as well give them excuses to roll other characters 
Yeah, just giving them an, an opportunity, even if it's a, a one shot totally disconnected from your story in a different game system to play a different kind of character might, you know, make them a little better able to put their head in that place and to realize that more options are available to them. And I know it's, you know, I know it's frustrating, but like having a conversation about your intentions for the campaign is also very useful. There's a ton of good advice out there about, you know, session zeros and kind of how to do that. And so even if it's partway through the campaign, you know, you talking to each person or even to the group and saying like, hey, I want to make sure I'm running the kind of game that you guys want to play. And I want to make sure that we're making something that I think is continuing to be fun to put a lot of time into. Mm -hmm. You know, what are you looking to do? Like, what do you find fun? Kind of all of those useful questions. Because if they want to like slash and burn, then maybe it's a more sort of farcical feeling, you know, like a rogues gallery of like, you know, we're a notorious assassins guild. And, you know, maybe it's, it's much higher stakes and people might die and you might get, you know, thrown in jail, in fantasy jail. There's lots of ways that you can kind of roll with it if it's important to them. Or maybe they just haven't thought about it. And they're like, yeah, to be honest, I'm a little nervous. I don't know what to do. Or this is my first thought. Like, do you have any better ideas? It's hard to know what they're thinking or what they want, unfortunately, without asking those yeah. questions. I, there's nothing wrong with having with having it be a bloodbath. I was like, I was like, oh, shit, they're all assassin rogues, aren't they? Like, fuck. Like, that's the scary thing to me. I think there is also like just a lot of baggage around D and D of like it's a very bloody. I have to be very serious with my axe yeah. and like use my attacks. So yeah. they might just not literally not know the options are there. You know, you could also play Monster Hearts. That might that might really loosen them up by making them teen monsters. So fun. The Monster Heart fucking slaps. I played Bigfoot. His main thing is <laughs> is being stinky. <laughs> True story. A stinky. It's a great game. Well, that brings us everybody to Spoily Corner. So we'll start off with a question here from Espeth May. When everyone's talking about the bear spray, January said, we thought it just worked on powers. Does that mean it was originally meant to take powers away from powered people? Who can say? Who can say? Who can say? <sighs> who, who can say? Liv Bowman 12, will the gala be crashed by three goats, one of which worships Tilda Swinton? <laughs> I who hope can so. Say? Yes. I hope so too. The answer is yes. Question surgeon Michelle Spurgeon, is Shannon Redwine actually powered or is she just taking supplements? Mm. Oh, who can say? say? Mm. Are we sure Emily and her crew are heroes? Truly, Michelle, who can say? No, I'm sure no. Are our heroes in danger of having their powers stolen? Who can say? Who can say? And finally, Eva, how does the government agency that Dr. Morrow created not know about powered people? (laughs) Eva, who can say? Who can say? Who says that they don't? Yeah, I was going to say, do <laughs> we know that for sure? <laughs> who says? I don't think Who says? Can. It's all a lie. It's all a smokescreen. <laughs> Someone could say, but it's not me. Um, Fair enough. And I, I really, I, that's I don't all think I got. They wouldn't even want to say it to you. That's they, true. They might be able to say, but they won't say it here on I'm this write it down on the back of an envelope and push it over to me, and then I'm like, more. <laughs> oh, that's salary negotiation. Sorry, I was, I was reading my girl, girl boss Instagram with uh, Emily Slaughter. <laughs> Main has have we ever seen Amanda and Emily Slaughter in the same room? No, no. All right. Well, thanks for coming to the after party. That's really all we have time for right now. Uh, Got to keep the trains running on time and uh, and do a tight sixty here. So uh, everybody, we'll see you later. Bye, bye, guys. Later. May your rolls trend ever upward. <laughs>